Hey folks, welcome to episode 55 of the Becoming Human podcast. On this episode, I sit back down with my pal, Daniel McHugh. Man, I love talking with this guy. He spent a lot of time considering his foundation of ethics, morality, and truth. When he was a kid, he grew up with Christian views. Eventually, he wrestled himself to become an atheist. And then rationalized himself back into Christianity with some alterations. Given that he spent so much time considering religion and the structure of his own values, I thought it'd be wonderful to sit down with Daniel to understand his ethics, morality, and what he thinks of truth. I've only done a debate within college and high school. So having this opportunity to be able to pick someone's thoughts apart to better understand his and my own was wonderful. And I had a lot of fun. In my youth, I would approach conversations with the fear of offending someone or saying something that is so wildly unfounded that my credibility would be completely thrown out the window. However, through debate, I'm able to see and test the validity of my ideas and the people I am talking to. With that, it strengthens my ideas or throws them out altogether in place of new ones. I love having the opportunity to sit down with people like Daniel so that I can understand his thoughts and my own thoughts much better. Go and check out Daniel's blog, uh, livefortheTrail.blogspot.com. You can find the link in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you find it, and share it with your friends. So do you feel like you deserve to be belt? Um, that is going to be the hardest question because so I asked it. No. Okay. Why is that? I struggle. I'm caught up in ego lately. Probably in the past well, six months. Well, if that's the reason, ego. Ego, I mean, everybody that's ever had a blue belt's caught up in ego. I, in the sense that I have a natural tendency to think I'm less than the person that I'm going against. Oh, and then the opposite. So a negative ego. Yes, exactly. And that is something that I've worked on and had a lot of progress with. My general feeling is, is yes, I did deserve a blue belt. But my initial feeling, the one that I have to kind of let go, because I know that that's like an impulse that mm-hmm. that I'm working on minimizing, mm-hmm. is that. It's like, no, you, you shouldn't have, you, you could have done this. You, you could have done this better. Um, you need to put more time in here. Yeah. And then I have to tell myself, get to catch myself, as my son would say, that no... You, you fall into this trap consistently. Yeah. And all it has proven is to be a distraction, hmm. at least for me, because it's like 100 miles an hour when it probably needs to be like 25 miles an hour. Okay. W- what is your experience in a scenario like that? Did you, how, what did you feel during your blue belt? Um, yeah, I, well, I, I had heard beforehand that rarely do people feel like they deserve getting a new belt. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which I did not feel like I deserved it. All the way. I felt like I deserved it maybe skill wise. Mm-hmm. Like I you know, if you put me against blue belts, I you know, if you put me against ten different blue belts, I could probably be in the top five. Mm-hmm. Um so skill wise, can I hold my own against a blue belt? I would have checked myself on that. I would have said, okay, probably, most likely. Um, what I what I didn't feel like I was adequate at, and I still don't, is um, real small technical details. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kind of address this with a couple a couple different ways. Number one is if I was immaculate with the small technical details then wouldn't i be a black belt Mm, mm -hmm. so does a blue belt need to be perfect Mm. you know with all the technical (laughs) details so i can cut myself some slack on that 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 reminds me of um teaching my son anything that i've taught my son i'm like why don't you pay attention it's my initial reaction why don't Uh you pay attention uh why can't you repeat everything that i just fucking told you right not so aggressively but (laughs) 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 and I realize like, kids' class is a good example. Um, watching children develop their technique over time, mm-hmm. and even watching my son draw, You're like why? You know, you need to make that circle perfect. Let's slow it down. Instead of that, you're just like, all right, let's make circles. Oh, that's that's cool. Try again harder next time. I like it though. And, and over time, you notice that it, it gets there. It, it becomes more acute or more articulated. Right. And that's what I have to tell myself is that yeah. I, I'm just in a psychological trap yeah i don't think you're in a trap i just think that that's just a just a part of being conscious i mean you're going to be aware you're going to be aware of of your flaws and your your good qualities hopefully you're equally aware of your good qualities too because that's you know that's when it becomes uh errant is when you're only dwelling on the negatives Mm, i i like that and that'll be a standard i would consider to hold myself to when i have to Checked myself, I suppose. Yeah. Um, one of the things that have helped me is writing. Because I, I'd force myself to sit down for, you know, short periods of time mm-hmm. every night. And I would write about what I got done today or mm-hmm. what I accomplished, what I felt really good about. It, always mixing it up. And then the things that I need to do improve on or yeah. that I, you know, didn't do really well at. And having that, it it didn't... It made everything, working it over again in my mind made me be able to recall it and understand it and have an intimate relationship with it. Because I often see if I don't write things down, it'll just go one ear and out the other. Yeah, so it's a good way to retain it, to to kind of grasp it and mm-hmm. put it on paper and have it. Yeah, I mean, it, I, uh, I, you know, obviously I write a lot. Mm-hmm. And when I write... Um, I don't go in. I'll go in with an idea of kind of how I feel about something, but it's not developed. And the writing, I think, to me, good writing is when you go through and you see an idea as it develops. Mm -hmm. You don't see a developed idea. Mm -hmm. So one thing that kind of that they point out in school is that you have a thesis for your paper, right? So you have an idea going in of what you're going to write about and what your stance is on a, a topic. And then as you write, you may get halfway through and realize, I actually have a different thesis. I have a different stance on it. Um, and that's the whole point. You know, you write out these ideas and they develop and that's how you you make them concrete. I think, um, you know, we came here to talk about morals. And when I, 
I didn't really know exactly, I didn't have like a refined idea of where I stood on moral issues until I started to just write Ooh. down how I felt about stuff. This right here helped me a lot, you know, as I hold up a piece of paper <laughs> of stuff that I wrote. Um, just because I was able to go through the process that I that I went through to get where I'm at, where I'm acting now. So we might act on something uh, that we innately feel is morally right without ever having uh, talked to, to anybody about it or expressed it in any way. So we don't really necessarily know that we feel innately that it's right. So when you write it down, you're you're getting it out. You're starting to to come to terms with the fact that you feel something therefore you act mm. upon it you know makes sense you're you have the opportunity to examine it i imagine yeah in the actual physical world mm-hmm. yeah the, so you wrote so you've gotten to writing on morality and ethics what, what spurred you into that well I, I think um you're i think we're in the well, there's a lot of places I could start. <laughs> Let's start with that it is the most important. Moral questions are everything. So when it comes to God, you know, whether or not we believe in God, when it comes to what we eat, when it comes to what we watch on TV, when it comes to who we befriend, what jobs we take, every single little thing is driven by our own little interpretations of what is right and what is wrong. Mm-hmm. So those are foundational for who we are and how we carry ourselves. Like I said, we don't always express it. We don't always know exactly what we feel on a topic. Um, we might know about, you know, I know, I feel this about abortion because everybody's always talking about abortion mm-hmm. you're kind of forced to come to terms with what you feel on it and th- and think about it and generate an opinion sometimes on the spot yeah. you've never thought of it okay. and that's and that's what this is that's what writing through these ideas is so but yeah i mean i got into ethics because um because it's so important and because i think that we're in a time in our society where we're questioning right and wrong more than we ever have now, I cannot verify that because mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't lived, you know, for the last 10,000 years. <laughs> um, but I think that there's a real um, moral dilemma that we're in right now where we're starting to ask ourselves different questions about right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And what do you think is um, has, has inspired this um, consideration of morality? I've talked to you about this a little bit. Um, what I think, well, I don't really know, but mm-hmm. uh, well, my one idea that I have is the four stages of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I kind of wrote this down and had this idea, and then I re- realized that it's almost uh, stealing from Taoism, the Chinese mm-hmm. religion. They do it, there's a little bit different towards the end, mm-hmm. but it's the same. So they have, like, um, four stages of uh self-realization or being or something like that Mm -hmm. mine's four stages of consciousness so um all the way up to rule three i think we're in alignment and i need to read on that Mm -hmm. just double check but i'm pretty sure um rule number one would be that of of an ant or an animal that acts entirely instinctually so like zero would be water something inanimate something that doesn't have 
any recognition of self at all. An animal, take a house pet, they've got a little bit of recognition of themselves, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they kind of understand where they where they fit within your space and within their own space. Mm-hmm. But they don't really, they don't have, from what we understand, they don't act upon it, um, act upon unnatural impulses. Mm, They're not striving to go, you know, build a house. And you could cite the Pavlovian response with, um, they can make the dog salivate when they ring the bell by providing food and then they Mm -hmm. take away food and the dog will still salivate. You can do it to humans. However, I don't think they've ever had a case with a dog where they've consciously broken the Pavlovian response, whereas with humans, you can do that through mm-hmm. sheer willpower. That's uh, ex- that's I mean that's really similar, I guess, to what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. Could you go into that a little bit more? Um, just meaning that what well, humans can get are engaged by uh, the Pavlovian response, right? If you were to do uh, some sort of stimulus the human would have a response. And they, they've done that just like they have with dogs. However, what is the distinction um, between our consciousness and dogs? Like, what, what is the proof? Because dogs have had, you know, like a, a language, right, where just like orca whales, mm-hmm. potentially not as intricate, yeah. um, like barks that correspond to the mailman. And they've been able to study these patterns. Huh. So they have... Um, Somewhat of a social hierarchy. So where is that line that you draw between uh, house pets and then the next stage? Yeah, and and I couldn't scientifically say Mm -hmm. where because I just don't know. Um, But that's kind of what I'm getting at is I would give animals a a one because they act instinctually. That doesn't mean that they're incapable of having any sort of communication. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they're incapable of feeling an emotion. It doesn't mean that a dog can't feel sad. It just means we don't really, we can't, we have no evidence that they do it to any sort of great extent. Mm-hmm. Whereas every single human, even an autistic human, is going to, or someone with Down syndrome is going to is gonna have a strong emotional response to things. Mm-hmm. Um, where animals tend to just do it instinctually. And would you say that you you could state the difference between that stage and humans is also our ability to manipulate the world around us or reality. Um, but is that due to our intellect or our adaptability? I don't know. I don't know. I don't really know why know it either. is. Now, now, as a Christian, I could provide uh, my... I could provide theological mm-hmm. ideals as to how as to how and why we are that way but that nothing that would be so if you're talking about it just philosophically speaking nothing that i could prove to be evidently true mm-hmm. so just speaking philosophically i have no idea mm-hmm. but it's it's apparent i mean it's uh, there's a abundant evidence to show <laughs> that humans are clearly <laughs> on another another playing field mm-hmm. we're on a different level than any other animal um even the most advanced people bring up dolphins, dolphins, <laughs> dolphins all the time. It's always dolphins. They're so smart. Um, well, yeah, for for other compared to other animals, but compared to us, if you want to argue with me that a dolphin is uh, <laughs> is smarter than a human, 
Well, we could have a whole podcast about that, and you'd still be wrong. You could even beat me in the argument, and you'd still be wrong. <laughs> so, so the second would be, um, I, I always used a factory worker, but it doesn't have to be a factory worker because I want to knock all the factory workers. Yeah, I understand. So we'll say, I I did HVAC for five years. Ooh. So I met a lot of people that they just did their job. They never questioned why they did their job. They had feelings and wants. You know, I want to have a family. I want to um, have a nice home. I want to go home and remodel my bathroom. You know, all these little things. I want this nice new car. But they never really questioned why. So they have the capacity to, to feel something about something. Mm-hmm. They have the capacity to manipulate their environment to accommodate for that feeling. But they don't really ever question the ethic behind it. Mm-hmm. Do I need that car? I want the car. Why do I want the car? Well, it wouldn't it be better off if I just got a car that was just basic and got me from A to B and, you know, did something better with the money, saved it? Mm-hmm. Um, why am I working these extra hours to get this extra money? Because couldn't I be doing something better with my time? You know, something more fulfilling than just crawling through crawl spaces? So that would be kind of the break between two and three is two would be you just kind of do it. You don't really question. And then three would be you do question. Now, I should also point out there's crossover. You don't just live in one and never go to another. You you don't just stick in two and you're always in two. I mean, Mm -hmm. you might live 50 years of your life as a a factory worker and never – transcend that and then on year 51 you're going you know what i want i want something more than this mm-hmm. and so then you act on that so then you've just gone into level three and then you go you know what i miss my life as a factory worker and you go back to a factory <laughs> worker and you go right back to level two <laughs> but it's more in moments you know we we might uh you know uh on the weekend you know, we spend a lot of time having really shallow conversations with people at work. And then on the weekend, mm-hmm. you go out to a bar, you have some drinks, you talk to somebody, you have a real deep conversation. You jump into level three. Mm-hmm. You're starting to think about the ethic behind what you do. Mm. And then you got to go back to work. You got to have a job. You know, you got to do the right thing. Uh, you got to support your family. You jump right back to two because it's going to be the most beneficial for, thing for you and your family to do, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not a knock on people that live in two. Um and it's not saying that there's not moments where you jump to you you jump to three or back to two, and it's not even saying that one is right and one's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just something from personal observation. Mm-hmm. You could argue in an, from the stance of evolution, if you were to have like, wow, I'm gonna draw this out into really abstract. Um, speculative place, but good. That's easier for me to argue. <laughs> <laughs> you can argue that wolves, right, or animals that that have to leave the safety of their location and move into a new range. Mm-hmm. Um, you encounter some level of risk. Yeah, right. You lose some sense of complacency. Mm. I know I'm personifying a wolf. Sure, <laughs> and, that's okay. Um, for humans, I see that in a very similar sense. Where if you're in a place that's safe and calm, like you're saying, right? Two stages. Mm -hmm. Basically, complacency and then uh, rising to some occasion, right? If I understand that correctly. Yeah. And when your environment goes to shit, 
whether literally or in an abstract sense, I believe that within all of us is the capacity to go to three for a evolution or for adaptation. Why why would you go out into the fucking why would you go and cross the Bering Strait? You know, I don't I know that that's probably not accurate anymore. Uh, but why would you go somewhere where it's incredibly dangerous? You can risk all odds. That mm-hmm. risky behavior, right? It's like day and night between risk and safety and comfort. Yeah. And people do ebb and flow. Some people are in one their entire life. Mm-hmm. But I could see that as a need in the community. Because if the community ever had to shift, you would require this person. But if a community ever had to build and maintain and grow, you, you couldn't. You need the other one or on some scale. And if we didn't ebb and flow in such a way, it would be, we'd have a reduction in resilience and we wouldn't be so adaptive. So let me, uh, wrestle in some, lasso yeah. in some of these ideas. So you're saying that, um, that two, twos and threes are necessaries. We can't just have, we can't just have threes. And it's a, how do, and how does that relate to the wolf part? Because I believe it's a, it's it was an, a survival mechanism. Okay. And okay. how we are structured as uh, pack animals that without it, we wouldn't survive. Okay. Does, so, um, do you, okay, let's, let's go back. So a wolf, mm-hmm. do you think that a wolf does that, would, it, would ever move the pack because they don't like the weather where they live? No. Could you argue that that is a highly what, heightened or over dramatic experience because we have removed ourselves from nature now? I would argue that. Mm-hmm. That's exactly my point. Is that we a wolf would be on one because they act instinctually. They don't act on their feelings. They act on on their survival instincts. Humans on a two would act. On survival instincts too. I mean, we're always going to act on, you know, on a base level on our survival instincts. But on level two, you'd then be acting on your emotions. I want that car. On level three, you would then be cognizant of the emotions that you're feeling, and you'd be able to question them. So then you'd be able to go, Why do I want that car? Why do I want to live somewhere where it's sunnier than where I live? Would that make me happier? Okay, so now you're questioning, this is the dangerous part. And this is dangerous because, and this is why I view ethics to be so important. And this is where I think we are primarily as a society where we're looking at at base survival structures and we're questioning their necessity. We're, We're questioning the utility of gender roles, for example. And I think that that's very dangerous. And there's a big, there's a strong argument to be made against what I'm saying. And that's why I'm kind of an outlier when I say something like that. Why do you think that's dangerous? Because I think when you try to quantify everyone and put them all in the same category and say that you're not intrinsically different than your sister who was born a year before you, just based off of biological differences, different uh, DNA, different um, 
different chromosomal, you know, setup. You're straight up denying truth. If you're if you're denying um, biological fact, yeah, for your ideology, that is, I agree, that is dangerous, dangerous. in every sense of the yeah. word and in every mask it's ever yeah. worn. So why do you do something like that? Who who benefits from blatant denial of of something as obvious as that? You could you argue that a form of tribalism would motivate that? I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I'm not talking about the motivation because, I mean, I, I guess the motivation to me is pretty pretty obvious. Is that it's feelings. Mm-hmm. You uh, feel sad when someone tells you that you can't do this can't do x because you are x Mm -hmm. so you can't uh you feel sad that someone tells you that you can't be an nba player because you are uh five foot seven Mm -hmm. look man you're just not going to make it in the nba you're five foot seven that's too short genetically biologically (laughs) you're too small to be in the nba it's limited and you feel bad and then there's a, a bunch of people that want your vote mm-hmm. and they're like well no no you can be in the M- who says you can't be in the nba you totally can i mean yeah you can't dribble you're five foot seven mm-hmm. but no i i i care about your feelings and i think you can and so i'm going to lay down i'm just going to go blatantly against what is true and i'm going to mm-hmm. tell you a lie because i think it's going to make you feel better because then that makes you look more favorably upon me Mm-hmm. So that would be the reasoning. And you can argue that that's present within all of our social platforms and as politicians, anyone who is, um, what is it, trying to vie for someone's attention, essentially. Yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, I think I think you are. I think that's why politics are so nasty and dirty and mm-hmm. why I abstain from them as much as possible. <laughs> Not only abstain from paying attention to them, but I definitely, uh, there's always a motive there's a motive behind everything that we do, but mm-hmm. what is the motive? And so, but I, but just in terms of just blatant disregard for what is true, mm-hmm. what is evident, um, you better have a good reason to blatantly disregard what is evident if you're gonna if if you're gonna do it. And do you are you concerned with someone calling themselves a man um, even though they've been born a woman? Not at all. Not at all. It's so you concern yourself with people who say men and women are the same, no biological difference. They just skew scientific data in order to support their own beliefs. I'm concerned with a society that thinks that that believes them. Mm-hmm. I'm not concerned with somebody who thinks that they are something that they're not. If somebody thinks that they're a dragon, I'm not concerned mm-hmm. that they think that they're a dragon. I mean, I'm concerned for them. Mm-hmm. But I'm not. Con- I'm, I'm. I'm concerned that the society would start to push that now. Suddenly, we can be dragons. Mm-hmm. Dragons a bad example because if a bunch of people think they're dragons, <laughs> that's gonna. I'll matter. try to ride them. If there's a bunch of people uh, chopping off their genitals because they think that they're a different gender than they are, or should I use the word sex? Then I think that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that's dangerous. So, level three would be people that recognize recognize their consciousness 
they're self-aware. Level four would be being self-aware, recognizing your feelings, but still acting uh, in a way that aligns with truth. So would would you say that level three, you inherently do not act in a way that aligns with mm-hmm. truth? No, 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 no. So, so why do you make that distinction? Um, because level four would be a time where you, I mean, I, I think, like I said, I don't think you stick in one or the other. So, so you're effectively, it's altruism in some sense. If you can explain altruism. Uh, altruism is in, I give you my car because you need a car and my work's right down the block. That's extreme altruism, but I just did it. Yeah. I don't care. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. That's you see it though, where where people do do for others, right? At sacrifice of them, their okay. own selves. Yeah. Is that so? You're saying that that would be morally right? Yes, and that I would figure is someone who's um, I don't want to say exalted. Jesus. Oh, whoops. <laughs> but that that I would admire, or I would say he is very moral, right? Yeah. I would. <clears throat> okay. How about if this person has <clears throat> borrowed your car before and they've mm-hmm. wrecked your car and you know that they're a terrible driver or, and they don't even have a driver's license? Mm-hmm. Would it be morally right or wrong to tell them that they cannot take your car? It would be morally right. Right. Wait. They don't have a driver's license. Yeah. You don't trust them as a driver. It would be... Well, yeah, I'd say morally right. Yeah. Well... Yeah. So that's... I'm not claiming to have the answers as to what is always morally right or is morally wrong. Because I think there are a lot of really intricate details uh, about, you know, ethical de- ethical questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you have to take as they come. Mm. But I do think that we get hung up on those ones when the ones that are should be obvious, like whether or not you're a man or a woman mm-hmm. from birth... Those ones are the ones that we're arguing about. Yeah, like that's that's that was decided when you came out of the womb. For most people, mm-hmm. now there are people that are born intersexually, and we address those. It's about people that are born intersexually or with some sort of uh, some sort of malfunction like that. Um, for uh, they're one point seven percent roughly. That's one percent. One point seven percent of the people tiny minority okay that's not a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> not a lot of people so if 1.7 percent of the population is representative of uh is 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 representative of how we should treat everybody in every mm-hmm. situation and all of truth then what does just truth doesn't even matter mm. yes because truth is like a flag and it blows yeah. with the, yeah with the right wind. it's just completely subjective so that's what you mean is someone who on level four they would Essentially, have all the qualities of level three, and they would they would maintain yes. truth, yes, and integrity in that sense. Yes. So then, so then, it, so you can go, take that for what it is. is and I, I think that's you know. Do you consider truth a very difficult thing to maintain? That's what I was going to get to next. So, the first of these these questions that I was talking to you about that I kind of outlined. Mm-hmm. Well, this isn't the first of the question. This is kind of the basis for everything. So I think you've got to have a basis for what is true in order to 
understand what you believe morally, right? Um, and then I hear this all the time, and this is one of the most disgusting things that I hear these days, which is, oh, well, that's your truth, and that's your truth. Truth doesn't need us to be. Truth does not need us to be true. Mm-hmm. The sun doesn't need Daniel to exist as the sun, right? Mm-hmm. So truth is not subjective. Truth is not malleable. We don't change the truth by how we feel about it. Mm-hmm. That is blatant. Okay, so there's no... Somebody could probably try to argue that. I mean, what would be an argument for that? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. It's, well, technology would be an argument for that, I, I suppose. How so? Because I think you and I talked about this at one point, where if someone were to say that a cell phone could not could never be made in like eighteen forty one that wouldn't that wouldn't be true however to that at that time it it would seem like it right so what we what we talked about was this is my this is an example I had to use in my ethics class and this is along the same lines well okay I'll just use what we were talking about yeah what we were talking about specifically was yeah if you were in um four hundred a d you would have no idea that a telephone or especially a cell phone is possible or an airplane or anything for that matter that we, you know, a microphone that you can talk into, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> right? Um, all that stuff, it, it would be really kind of abstract. Um, did that mean that the potential for its existence was false? Mm-hmm. It was still potentially true. Mm-hmm. We just hadn't discovered it yet. Mm-hmm. So... Truth is out there. We are in a constant process of trying to find what is true. Mm-hmm. Right? So, true is subjective in the sense that our truth does fluctuate. You know, what is true to Daniel when he was 17 is not going to be the same as what's true to Daniel when he's 26. Mm-hmm. Right? So, my little, my little understanding of truth might change, but truth never changes. Mm-hmm. Truth is stagnant. Truth is, truth just is, and that's it. I was going to say, you could argue that at one point, yeah, but that argues relative truth. At one point, we thought that the um, sky was black at night, right? Yeah. And now we know that it's actually lit up in its entirety. We just can't see an infrared. Yes. And so we reveal something. And the things that we realize we don't understand simply narrows our understanding further and we have more discovery yeah and exactly. it seems as a society that is all we are doing is unwrapping what is true for sure and exploring it within technology and its limitations isn't that amazing what other animal does that yes well what other animal is so adaptive as us why are we so adaptive I feel like we're so you could be so adaptive as a consequence of what is it a happenstance like winning the lottery mm-hmm. and like wolves or coyotes coyotes won the lottery yeah they live um, in cities yeah and they have higher populations in cities now than they do in the wild and yeah. so do rats rats won the lottery. Yeah. And there's ex, um, there's situations where like a rat would see 
a trap and then or food and then they would send the little baby rat off to eat it because they've learned that over time that that has poison in it yeah so i mean there's like adaptation is obviously rewarded mm-hmm. in evolution and there's many different unique adaptations that have occurred yeah and i've always wondered talking about um someone going for a hero's journey or in complacency for instance Mm-hmm. I kind of fall on that spectrum, whereas adapt or bio. Yeah, 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 Fuck. yeah, yeah. Adaptations. No. Yeah, yeah. Well, biologically, we've adapted to um, to be as we are, mm-hmm. and all of it's rewarded by our environment. Even um, what we're, even our society as it stands now, with our huge cities. Yeah. I mean, a global society is actually the most beneficial, I would argue, for humans. Mm, really? Because it ensures our survival, because we're not warring with each other. Yeah. And we're working together to innovate. I don't know if it ensures our survival. Well, I wouldn't... I don't know if it ensures that we would that we would have no wars either. Not, not in a logical sense. <laughs> okay. I don't think okay. it would. Okay, I got you, I got you. But in... in utopian sense. No, in more of a... What is it? Primal? Or instinctual sense like conquering things like that things of those nature yeah if we took away communication away part of us and needing other people like yeah it's, okay and i don't well, think you're it's, saying community a sense of community oh well, yeah a sense of community mm-hmm. and community and as it stands now like a globalism i'm not a globalist by any means but i mean in a instinctual sense that would be beneficial but mm-hmm. in the logical sense it's obviously not because you got to consider like our carrying capacity and all that other bullshit well i think probably small communities um that coexisted mm-hmm. if that's what you mean would be yeah. beneficial i don't think a global community would because i think that's too many people to have a consensus as to how it should be run that would be i agree that would be more accurate and I feel like we're in a, this mess as if we're riding on a roller coaster and we can't hit the br- or we're trying to hit the brakes now. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. But I would argue that that is us driven by our instinct is in bigger, bigger, bigger. I mean, you see that within anything, even in a discipline, in business, yeah. um, in a city, yeah. bigger, bigger b- progress, which yeah. I argue is in uh, a consequence of adaptation. So level three, mm-hmm. recognizing that what you're doing is a product of your instincts. Mm-hmm. Level four. Not acting on your instincts because you know that it's the wrong thing to do. Mm. And could you argue that that is a skill that can be taught? I'm not saying that level four can't be taught. Oh, and how does religion account for that? For teaching people that? Yeah, and stoicism. I would wrap that in there. Well, okay. Well, philosophy and religion. Religion, uh, philosophy, philosophy would be a more uh, adequate tool for doing that mm-hmm. than religion would. Mm-hmm. Because what we've seen is that religion does a better job of making people go down to level two. Mm, that makes sense. Oh, at a time in, like, primordial society, couldn't you argue that religion would be the thing that makes you go from a level two to a level three? Or a level two to a level four. Because you're acting morally despite... Um, but, but... Mm-hmm. I guess that's that's one flaw that I found in this theory. Mm-hmm. Do you need level three to to act upon level four? Mm-hmm. So can you go from two to four? Mm-hmm. Can you just be doing what you're told mm-hmm. and do the right thing just because it's what you're told? And that's a philosophical question. I don't have an answer to that. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that that would be 
a very difficult thing to um, sustain as a large community because it can get derailed quickly. There is no checks put in place when the individual can be a check and a balance to the other individual, like we said with jiu-jitsu before we started yeah. the podcast. Yeah. I think that's a lot more safe for maintaining institutions, and I don't even mean that in an intentional sense. You mean sense. Re- religion? Y- yeah, religion. religion and, and, and religious structure. If everybody were to act upon a single religious And structure. not question so, shit, yeah. then it can get dangerous and culty really quick. But if every single person was universally doing it, mm-hmm. oh, then well, would it? But have we ever had yep. anything in history where an individual Never. has not been is uncorruptible, yeah. or an institution is uncorruptible when at the helm of an individual? So why? So so if you had a, a religious institution that just so happened, we shouldn't even say institution, mm-hmm. because if you look at biblical Jesus, he was about as anti-religious as they come. <laughs> so biblical Jesus was not a part of a religious in- institution. Mm-hmm. What he taught to me was I look at it and I say that's infallible. Like I don't I don't look at any of that and go, eh, I don't really agree with that. Now that could just be my paradigm, so I'm not making an argument that that is evidently true. What he says is evidently right. Mm. I believe that to be I believe that what he says so, is evidently right. So you believe it to be um true not just in the abstract sense but in the literal sense. I yes. Okay. Oh, well, um that's an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. I believe I choose to believe that. Mhm. Not because I feel that there's sufficient evidence to believe that. Okay. So I want to make a distinction there. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's evidence is 50/50 to believe that. Okay. So it's an emotional belief with some slight it's, rationality. It's, well, it's faith. That's yeah. what they call faith. It's having hope and, and, and hope to such an extent that you believe in something that you have no evidence for. Mm-hmm. It's not rational. But that's a different... How I got there is, is, mm-hmm. is... So, if you go all the way back, my first question would be how, you know, how I got into these ethics is do you believe in a conscious, keyword conscious, creator of the universe? Creative force. Do I personally believe that? That's, that's I think, the first initiating question for where you might stand on your ethics. Do you personally believe that? Conscious as in... So if I were to say yes, does that mean I agree that we were intentionally created? Yes. No. No, you don't. No, I don't. Okay. So that's a, that's a, huge, that's a huge statement. Mm-hmm. Because what, are you, what do you think that you're signing up for when you say... That there was no intent in your creation. Like I said, is as a species, as a result of adaptation okay. to our environment. Yeah. So something that, like, there are some video games that I would play as a kid, mm-hmm. and it would be like a sandbox, right? You put a bunch of shit in there, and something would come out at the end. You, you even see that with procedurally generated video games. Like, you put a bunch of information, you write an algorithm, and some weird shit happens in the end. And the reason why it works is um, usually it's it's impressed upon by its environments. Like Earth, there's only a certain amount of capabilities, right? However, if you were to throw, um, if you were to seed Earth, kind of like Prometheus, (laughs) the beginning of life, and you let it unfold as it unfolded, I believe that our environment would be responsible for who we are in large part. I cannot account for our um, our conscious. That's fine. Well, we don't need to account for that. I I only ask that because you, that is the biggest 
mm -hmm. possible question right there. Because because if something creates you, you know, accidentally, mm -hmm. as a matter of coincidence, um, then there really is no reason to do anything other than your own pleasure and satisfaction. Mm -hmm. If you were to... But you, I don't agree with that. Okay. Why? Because I'm going to look at it from the sense of an algorithm once again. Okay. Is if you just, if you started the algorithm where there's a video where a robot learns how to walk all on its own, they don't mm -hmm. tell it how to. They just say, move your legs, and then slowly it's like, okay, when I move my legs, I move up, you know, do it this high. Okay, move this leg, move that leg, and slowly over like four hours, this robot legitimately learns how to walk. But they had to tell it one thing first. If they didn't tell it anything, it wouldn't. It wouldn't even try to move. So forward. they had some intent. Yes, but I don't think it's specific to the species. What do you mean? That I would say that intent for life. Intent for life. That's what I mean. And by mere coincidence, we happen to be the thing that can survive the best within the environment of Earth. Okay, but that. But again, you're. Uh, that's fine. Yes. That's fine. I'm not saying that. I'm not asking you about if you think that the God of Abraham initiated it. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm asking if you think that there's a, a an initiative force of the universe that was aware of what it was doing. I believe so in the sense of what I said with, regarding the algorithm, yeah. where I don't think it's... I think it's a... If it were anything, it would be a general idea instead of a specific idea. And a surprise at the result. And the only reason why I cite that is because it's it's almost everything within our own reality. Like we are only so intentional about what we do. Even I don't see it reflected in anything. Do you understand? Kind of. I think you're jumping between a different. Because I, I, I so I look at it like this. Mm -hmm. Um. If there is a, is no initiative force in the universe, then that that's conscious, that's aware of what it's doing. Mm -hmm. Then everything just happened coincidentally. Our consciousness and our recognition of right and wrong, which is just an anomaly that cannot be explained, um, that happened coincidentally. Have you seen any indication of an animal understanding even a shallow sense of right and wrong within their own communities. I would argue, how could you have... Um, like house pets? <laughs> yes. <laughs> how could you have a social scenario without that caveat to some degree? Yeah. Because if you didn't have regret, right, mm -hmm. how, how could you have a society or looking at it in an animal animal sense how could you have a herd or a pack because yeah. why don't they just eat each other yeah for sure and so it's, there's got to be a sense of remorse only because it benefits to the society yes and the survival of the society because at, with humans we have emotional triggers that when you're isolated with the exception of some phenomenal individuals uh -huh. and i would argue that must be the same of other animals with of our likeness because if it weren't then why do they still exist in that way much like us why would we why would we have any of that mass murder now 
could you argue that that would be a phenomena? And just as if albinoism is a phenomena within an animal, and if it were a successful thing, it would be grasped by the society at large, or it wouldn't be killed. I think you could argue, except... I think you could argue that, and I'd like to argue that, mm -hmm. but I don't think that evidence backs that, because I think you've got a good... So what what we've got is we've got mass murders, the Stalins and the Mao's and the Hitlers, mm -hmm. um, that kill people to create some create their own idea of what society should look like. Mm -hmm. And does that... Are they doing that because that's really good for the species? Or are they doing that because they have some psych sort of demented This is why I psychology. argue the three and four. Because I believe we ebb and flow. Because you would see people who... Martin Luther King mm -hmm. did a lot of great shit for black people and uh, equal rights. Mm -hmm. He's a plagiarist. And he plagiarized the fuck out of his papers throughout college. There's uh, yeah. d documented history of it. When the communist... Now I'm down for polyamory. I like to fuck. And so I'm not criticizing him on it. However, it is an interesting thing to note that when the FBI wiretapped him, because they were wiretapping all influential people within American society at the time because of the Red Scare, all they heard was fucking. <laughs> like, wild fucking. He would have sex parties. Yeah. And his was while his wife would be at his house, and he'd be in all these other states. There was accounts of him meeting women after his speech within like five to ten minutes, and then... Get grabbing their number and sliding off. Yeah, I read. A, I read. I don't know that I read a lot about the plagiarism. Well, the plagiarism is what instigated them investigating him, mm -hmm. and then they found that by ha happenstance. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I do not criticize him because I have stolen. I don't think it is okay, and I would never steal again. I stole him when I was a child. And you said you're pro polyamory. Well, if you want to do it, you can do it. Like, I'm not saying he's an immoral, horrible human being. I can't condemn him So for would that. you say that that's an immoral act? Polyamory? Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. Why would you say... Wait. Would you say it's an immoral act? Absolutely. I'd say Why would you say it's an immoral act? Because I think that it uh, destroys the foundational structures of a family. Oh, is a family necessary to our survival as a society? I don't think that our I don't think that whether or not um, survival in, within a society. Or you, did you hear something? I thought I heard him reading or something. <laughs> I don't think whether or not our societies can survive is is the end all be all to our to our morality. Not to the immediate sense, but over time, wouldn't it? I can't say for sure that I agree with that mm -hmm. well, because. I'm not certain that it'd be immoral if a uh, tsunami came and wiped us all out <laughs> mm -hmm. and we all died. Y yes. So our existence isn't necessary for right and wrong is what I'm saying. How so? Wait. What, what, what act of nature is immoral? What active nature like, yeah, is Yeah, what, what, so without us, removing us from the picture, mm -hmm. where does right and wrong occur? Well, we enact on wrong and right. Uh -huh. So we, I, in a sense, I see what you're saying. If, it, without us, without us, there's nothing that's doing, acting right or mm -hmm. wrong. 
Like a, uh, a penguin still rapes, it's like or still performs necrophilia. Yeah, that's pretty messed up. Yeah, it is. It is really <laughs> messed up. And um, and yeah. see what seals. What are those big blubbery fuckers? Sea lions. Walruses. Walruses. Sea lions. Or sea lions. They'll yeah. push a like. There was a video. It might have been Paul Nicholson. He was like the National Geographic uh, like photographer and videographer. Um, or another guy. They were mm-hmm. doing long video shoots. They never made it into the movie, but a walrus or a seal would push the penguin over, and they have, like, little pulses on them or some something, like a little thimble. Well, it just fucked it. It force-fucked it and in a hole. Like, it, <laughs> it forced a hole into it, and it just started fucking the dead penguin body. That was gross. Wow. I have a friend. He has chickens, right? The rooster... Um, will get the chicken and it'll bite its neck. Like sometimes it'll, it'll yes, get food, throw up food yeah. out there, and then yeah, the chicken yeah. will walk, and that chicken will trick it, and it'll jump, and then it'll just bite its neck and fuck it. And it's, one time the chicken would rip out a patch of hair, and all these chickens descended and ate the chicken. Gosh! And so then you had rape and cannibalism. Then. Yeah, and yeah. Do <laughs> those animals recognize that that's right and wrong? Um, that's my question. Yeah. Okay. And I hear what you're saying. without us speculating on that, without us looking at what we, we what we could deem as a chaotic uh, natural world. Yeah. Are we imposing our ideas of right our and wrong? Subjectivity. Well, okay. So I think that you make a good point, but then I want to go back yeah. to the beginning because I think we jumped ahead. Yes, we did. So the re- I want to go back to why I have faith and why I believe in what I believe. Mm-hmm. Because I have hope. What do I have hope for? I have hope that wrong acts are wrong and right acts are right. Because I recognize that if everything's a, everything's coincidental, if if this just if there was an energy that created existence but didn't really have any f- uh, capability of judgment of recognition of right or wrong. Then there would be so just there's a there's a creative force in the, inter- the the universe, but it's not conscious, it's not aware. Mm-hmm. Then in that case, everything would be coincidental. You know, our large brains would be um, the reason that we have developed this idea of consciousness and right and wrong. But it would be really a lie. We wouldn't really be conscious. There really wouldn't be any right and wrong. There wouldn't be any free will, and we'd be acting entirely on coincidence. Now, is there evidence to back that? Mm -hmm. Well, we don't have any evidence that there is or isn't a creative force of the universe. Mm -hmm. So if you, you have to choose whether or not you believe that. Why would you choose that? There are a lot of different reasons. The reason I choose to believe it, other than than Lots of psychedelic drugs mm-hmm. <laughs> and crazy experiences <laughs> with those, um, and and just my life and just um, living and seeing purpose unfold. Mm-hmm. What I perceive to be purpose, I choose. I choose to believe that because I hope that we have free will. And I would have to interject that having psychedelic experiences and near death experiences have given me something closest that I can say is a spiritual experience. Uh-huh. However, I cannot unpackage that at this time. Anyways. Good. That's well, well. No, I mean, that, and that's fair, and that's why I wouldn't mm-hmm. attribute any uh, amount of truth. I'm like, uh, and I'm not going to do DMT mm-hmm. and then run around to and and tell everybody, hey, I've proven it. I've cracked the code. I now know for sure that there's a spiritual realm. 
But I know that subjectively, there's a spiritual realm, mm-hmm. man, for sure, for sure. So I made a choice to believe in a creator because I want free will. I want the choice to. Ch- I want the choice. I want the ability to um, make a decision. I want there to be a right and wrong. I want murder to be wrong. I want rape to be wrong. Without free will, without reason, without a real right and wrong, anything's fair game, man. There's nothing to tell anyone other than our societies that anything is right and wrong. And what I see in our society now is we're on a slippery slope where we're starting to blur even our societal standards for right and wrong. Mm -hmm. That's why I argue... That religion could have been a like people talk about the enlightenment, right? Mm-hmm. Like as a psychological evolution of the human species, regardless of its truth. Right? If you look at it in relative terms or abstract uh-huh. terms, yeah, you're right. It gives you a code to live by. Um, and religion was around before books were printed, mm-hmm. right? So before some form of we talked about writing earlier. Yeah. When I write shit down, I can create a structure of thoughts. I can create a structure of character even. Yeah. And if my son wanted to take my character and internalize it and use it in his own life, yeah. he would need this book for reference, right? And everyone else, yeah. you can jump aboard. Um, well, people in Las Vegas can too. It, it can... It can infect other individuals. Yeah. And then you have people thinking just like you. You don't have to be a part of that immediate community. Sure. I would argue that religion is could be an evolutionary consequence. Not consequence. But a phenomena that was solidified by evolution because it in, increased our likelihood of survival. Because we didn't kill each other. And it was a code of ethics, okay. a code of morality. Yeah. It was principles. And before then, I would imagine, it's hard to, that it's like Yahtzee to ensure that a family instills a code of principles into a children. We talked about it earlier that you meet families like the, the wild and wonderful whites. Mm-hmm. Like that's, oh shit, Yahtzee, that didn't work out. Right? You, you lost your hand. Place, yeah. It, yeah and, and so if that was a... Yeah a text or an idea even just an idea stories how they have parables that are passed down yeah then we're able to innovate we're able to adapt yeah so like yeah like like i yeah i totally get that and i um i'm totally on board with that as a worst case scenario yeah well i just meant also it would increase the likelihood of it it spreading because i think we have these natural tendencies that make us kind of want that to be true not saying that it is or it isn't but like even books like why do we read books why does why is harry potter so resonate with people so well because it's got that that yeah you're talking about the jordan peterson archetypes i i am and i feel like that once we have those archetypes that people had access to that was consistent within societies i think that was a huge shift in the paradigm so that's a point where we would definitely agree. Yeah. Because I because I'm, it's I'm beneficial. not. I don't want to sit here and make it seem like I'm arguing that mm-hmm. there's no benefit to to our societies being moral mm-hmm. and do it and prosperous. I mean, I obviously I love that idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. And, and yeah, I agree with you. 
um, if we were to all have one religion mm-hmm. and follow it, then that's possible. Um, the only thing, the only flaw that I see in Jordan Peterson is that, yeah, all that stuff's really cool, and it is true. And his breakdown of Old Testament scripture, to me, is is even if Old Testament scripture were literally true, the psychological breakdown of Old Testament scripture is more true than literal truth. Mm-hmm. As in, I think that it, I think that it breaks down um, all humans to an extent that is inarguable. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really valuable. Uh, the problem is there's consequences to believing stuff. Mm-hmm. There's so what do you choose to believe and what do you choose not to believe? If you believe in the in just the Old Testament in Judaism and Judas uh, uh, Jewish teaching, why aren't you stoning gay people in the streets? Mm-hmm. So what stuff do you choose to believe and what stuff do you choose not to believe? Mm-hmm. Now New Testament comes and takes care of, takes care of all of that. So I, you know after Jesus you don't have that. And my argument to anybody who would bring that point up to me would be that was a instruction for people within the church. Mm-hmm. So that was a punishment for if you live within the church and you do these actions, then this, these are the consequences. It was within a really barbaric time. I mean, we're talking 7,000 B.C. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was probably not the most barbaric thing that was going on. Yeah, it's it was, relative. Is stoning people that were doing things that were uh, they viewed as immoral. So, but what my point is is that it's nice to take the fun things out of the Bible that are psychologically true or out of the Quran, um, not of Buddhist teaching, but where do you draw the line between what we're going to live by and what we're not going to live by? And who would establish that? Who would, that's exactly that's, what I'm talking about. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. That That's my what, exact question. Why well, I, I argue that how religion, you thought it was great, right? The benefit of religion to society yeah. as an institution and yeah. a code to live by. I think, if, I think if people lived up to 80% of it, mm-hmm. um, well, okay, let's put, put it this way. If they lived 10% of it, it'd be better than 0% of it. Yeah, right? that's true. So, yeah, it just it's it being there and it being prevalent and it being important to our society, mm-hmm. even if it's not wholly lived by, our society is going to be more prosperous than it would be if it didn't live by it at all. Mm-hmm. And that's because I I argue that to in order for a society to function at the level that we did, and I would believe that the one of the reasons why we were able to have large societies, mm-hmm. no, there's some issues with that, and we need to go to smaller communities. But the reason why it even yeah. holds up is the fact that religion was born, yeah, and not for the the woo woo ness, yeah, uh, regardless of its merit, but the principles yeah. to abide by and at the time it was fear driven because if you look at an instinctual animal or someone on what you would consider as level two it's fear driven it's emotional it's reactivity so the entire what uh principles of religion it uses fear and reward yeah. to instill certain values in the individual yeah. that wouldn't be present or Con, con, or 
everyone would have the same fucking one instead of every, instead of someone saying, yeah, stealing's yeah. fine with me, but not with you. I believe that that's the only reason why we could be where we are today. However, it has to be adaptive. We if do you need. It, but if you don't, here's my contention. If you don't argue that it's valid, if you don't yeah. actually believe in the potential that it could be true and hope that it is true because you recognize the value of it and then actually live by it as close to 100% as you can, why would anybody else? What what makes somebody who's living uh, um, polyamorously mm-hmm. and uh, maybe has a girlfriend that's 12 years old when he's 27 and uh, decides, you know what, I don't... I don't really believe in gender, so I'm going to sleep with everybody, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to, and I'm not going to have any, I'm going to birth four kids, um, but I'm going to have no role in their life at all, mm-hmm. um, and I'm going to do every single, pursue every single possible pleasure that I can, um, because that's what brings me the most enjoyment. Mm-hmm. What's going to keep that person from doing that if we're going, okay, there's some merit to the book, mm-hmm. but the book's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Because, well, first I would argue is that you need something to engage people on an emotional level because pure rationale will not get the crowd. It may get the individuals, but not the crowd. You see that with many things. A movie can't be, like, heavy and deep without substance. It has to have substance in order for it to be pop culture. And what I would say is that with, with that... If someone were to do that and it were to hurt our society at large, rationally speaking, that's bad and we need to prevent that. Mm -hmm. However, if you relied on everyone having to come to the same conclusion without being fear-driven by something else, something greater than themselves, then you're right. They just fold. But if you have something to where they're either fear-driven or they're well-informed, that's because... no, no, I mean, I totally agree with that. That's not where we're parting ways. Where yeah. I'm parting ways with you is that I don't think that's sustainable. If, you, if you've if you got a pe- bunch of people that are going, yeah, this stuff's really cool and makes a lot of sense on a lot of levels, you know, and I agree with a lot of it, but there's no, I don't really believe in it to be true other than this just how effective it is, other than its utility to uh, mankind, and so it's not true. And then you get trends that catch on, like right now, where there is absolutely no truth. Mm-hmm. And then people start going away from the trend of belief in this religion that's got utility to mankind mm-hmm. and going more towards a uh, pursuit of their own pleasures mm-hmm. and their own subjective uh, you know, reasoning. And I think that's at the fault of institutions that are available because I would argue that there is no updated institution that is emotionally engaging just as it is rational. No one, very few people, will read a thick scientific textbook, but many peop- many more people would read fiction. Um, mm-hmm. Not many people would go to Google Scholar and look up all of these different research papers, as many others would go to Wikipedia, science, or Pop Science, or something. Yeah. Pop Science, read all yeah. their articles from there, and that person's job is is to inform and be engaging. So you're saying we're going to lose the teachings. The important teachings, the important truths, because it hasn't been updated? I No, I believe that you can capture our society at large by creating a new institution with the same principles and values by being engaging in a modern way. Hmm. 
which you see like Jordan Peterson, which I'm not arguing for what he's doing at all, but for some reason he catches so much attention. Whereas you probably could have found 10 other people who've been talking about shit very similar to him for the past 10 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. But what's the difference? And I would, always, I would argue it's just as your teacher you find in school is presentation. Or just as a religion is like, if you just told someone straight up, follow these 10 commandments, and then they're like, what happens if I don't? And it's like, well, man, you can't live here. You'll just be exiled. <laughs> like that one, that's not as bad. So that's not going to convince everyone. That's not going to engage anyone. Like that, if someone were to create that system in the past without being engaging, we probably never would have read about it because it wouldn't have gotten carried on. Yeah. Does, does that make sense or am I veering off? Well, a Kinda little high. bit. I, I still <laughs> don't feel like my question's answered because I still don't know whether mm-hmm. or not you see the utility in in a in it's in in it's actually being literally true. No, I only see its utility in its sense of like true. yes, and emotionally okay. engaging. Yes, so yeah. psychologically true. Yeah, because when that is true, most people are like the Lord, like like really so into but it. But so you do see you do see mm-hmm. the utility in it being literally true then, because you see. You believe that a, a large majority or a majority of the population would buy into it being literally true, therefore they would follow it. Yes, but not with the internet, not like generation now, because they, most of the time, I believe most of the people you'd find are staunchly. Well, we got Bible, Bible apps. We do have Bible apps, but then you read. I'm talking in like communities. Communities and threads, the thoughts that you're exposed to and the people that you engage with, yeah. I would like to know if the majority of children now are more are a, are lean towards being atheists or agnostic, or they're like, you know, the lower, right? Well, I don't know what age you would do, but I, I would be willing to bet that if you take a 16, 17-year-old, mm-hmm. probably even younger than that, and you polled uh, 100%, of American high school students, mm-hmm. uh, I would be willing to bet that a majority of them would be leaning more towards, eh, I don't really know and I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Right? Would yes, you agree with that? Yes, I, I would agree with that. Okay. And, yeah, and you would consider that, but maybe this is me projecting, that the people who are deep in church as a, as a child, high school and elementary school, are um, not ignorant, but uh, they're not, I don't want to say that word, they're insulated. Like yeah. they didn't, they didn't have access to anything outside. Yeah, and that was. I'm just being honest with you, and that's my that was my initial thought. That's when exactly. I, was a kid. I, I, we would probably agree on most religious people. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. Yeah, on 99 of Christians, we would have. They would not pass my test. Oh yeah, I because know. they they would fail. They would fail pretty quick because <laughs> they haven't thought about this stuff. And that's why I think this stuff is important to think about. And that's why I hope it to be true. Mm-hmm. Because I see the utility in its literal truth. Not just its not just its archetypal truth, mm-hmm. in the literal truth of it. Not just people believing that it's literally true just because they were born into believing it's literally true. But making a choice to believe that it's literally true. Could we also could we argue let's think about the role model effect. Okay. Where you have an idol, you idolize them. Yeah. Right? You think they're like awesome. Yes. They do everything fucking incredible. Their farts smell wonderful. Then say it's a backpacker, right? You're like, oh, they can deal with suffering. They they've gone on these crazy trips. They're uh, really fast. They have really good gear breakdown. Yeah. 
And that inspires you mm-hmm. as a role model yeah. to do that. And because you have a role model like that, you then push your limits, right? It's very important to have role models. Yeah. To expect to have, to set our own expectations higher than what they are mm-hmm. at baseline. Well, what about if you learned that that role model didn't, didn't do any of that and that everyone, you know, built his gear out for him and that he had like, like they have the survival shows where they actually They're eat. Totally but if yeah. you were to still Except know. Survivor Man. <laughs> Except Survivor Man. <laughs> and if you were to still yeah. believe that they were real and yeah. never know that they were fake, they would still serve a purpose, right? Maybe, the, although I'll say maybe for a, a portion of people. Because you then would, you would exceed them because of that. A portion of people, not all people. No. Well, that, okay, so, so when I, let me go back to my little personal journey with Christianity, mm-hmm. for example. I was raised as a Christian, but I didn't really ever believe it that much. Mm-hmm. It's that um, Adam and Eve... Apple thing, talking snake, doesn't seem very realistic to me. Um, by the time I was about 15, 16, I started just, I was going through the motions, really hated church, and I thought that institute, religious institutions were inherently evil. And then by the time I was 16, I denounced that there was any God at all. And so I went, I just, I said, there's no evidence of God, there's no evidence of Jesus. And therefore, I'm not going to live as if there is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to live for... No, I'm going to try to do my best to be a good person, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's all. Just every every person out there, I would say the majority of people are trying to do their best to be a good person. Mm-hmm. But we're all caught up in our own subjectivity. There's not a lot to tell us what we should or shouldn't do. We just kind of, oh man, I really think I want to tell a lie right now because it would really be convenient. So I'm going to go ahead and lie. Because it's there's it's not morally wrong, really. You know, the only reason I ever enact on any morals is just because I'm trying to you know be a good person as much as possible. But I also know that morals don't really exist, and I also know that there is not really a good or bad, and it's impossible to really be a good person because you're not really a bad person, right? <laughs> so I lived a, a completely what would be a completely postmodern life, where I it, believed in absolutely nothing. Everything was coincidental. There wasn't any free will. Um, so probably lived like that until I was about 20 and my life really sunk. (laughs) Bad things started to happen. Um, were you doing jujitsu at the time? (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. I wasn't backpacking either, but, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think those, those things for sure, jujitsu and backpacking for sure led me to God. I I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't deny that in a heartbeat, but yeah, to, to your point, no belief in that those institutions' validity led me to just no belief at all. Mm-hmm. That just everything's fair game, and you can act in any way that you want. And I think that we're in a time right now where people will do that mm-hmm. because there's a lot of information out there. And there's a lot of people that want to be free and do as they want and want to have their own truth and live and let live. And all those things sound great. But they're dangerous ideas. They're dangerous ideas when you're talking about letting anybody do what you want. Because then where's the line for that? Where do you go, okay, but isn't it okay for a 16-year-old girl to be with a 31-year-old guy, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what's 16, though? What is age? Is age really a thing? 
isn't it okay for a, a nine-year-old girl? It's really she's really mature mm-hmm. to be with a thirty-year-old man. I've read articles that promote ideas like that. Oh yeah, liberal articles, and and that's postmodernism. Mm-hmm. That's saying, well, there's not really a right and wrong. It's all based on circumstance. So it's saying right and wrong is circumstantial, and that is dangerous. What about Greece and little boys? Like so, in totally Greece, wrong. And and then there's even that tribe in what Africa. Even more wrong. I'm in the butthole. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. yeah, even more wrong. Um, yeah, <laughs> I would. Okay, so so you see the utility of right and wrong. I, I do see the utility in right or wrong, and I'd like to comment on its enforcement because okay. there's also a scenario if we were to do a thought experiment. Yeah. Imagine a world in which Daniel could tell people what is right or wrong. And he can Terrible. limit them on their actions Terrible. in which is right or wrong. Yes. And you get, you know, 19. Are you talking about Daniel? Orwellian. Are you talking about Daniel as a Christian or Daniel as a no. 20 year old non believer? Yes. It's, just a, it's like some Orwellian society. Yeah. Right? I want more cocaine now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and. You can't approach it from there. That's, I believe, having archetypes yeah. is the only, has been, yeah. has been proven to be the only sustainable way to facilitate morality. Okay. Well, no, it, I mean, and that's fair. That's that's a totally fair argument. And not and morality either. Just survival. Survival. And I'm not arguing against, I'm not arguing against that. Yeah, I know. Okay. Uh, I think that I, that's the Jordan Peterson argument, mm-hmm. and that's why I love Jordan Peterson, because he's at least keeping this stuff relevant. Because mm-hmm. if it wasn't for that, this stuff is dying. Oh, yeah. And this stuff is dying anyway. Don't get me wrong. The Bible, it is – it is nobody believe Christians don't even believe it's true anymore, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So <laughs> the Bible is dying, and I don't want it to, and I don't think you do, and I don't think Jordan Peterson wants it to. So I think that we see the utility in the values that it teaches. What I'm saying is is that beliefs have real consequences. And how do you know which ones you're going to believe and which ones you aren't? Mm-hmm. I have a friend who gave me the um gave me this example. He said, "Imagine you have a pizza and you love pizza. Pizza is your favorite food. And somebody gives you a pizza and says, "Hey man, um Dig into this. This pizza is yours. I just want you to know uh, it's one percent arsenic in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, dude, go after it. Eat it. Obviously, arsenic. If you eat arsenic, you die. Mm-hmm. Would you eat the pizza or would you toss it out? Toss it out. I would hope that you toss it out because mm-hmm. yeah, you would die. You would die if you wouldn't. Uh-huh. So, what do you believe in a Bible? In in the Bible, for example, what do you choose that you're going to believe? And what do you choose that you're not going to believe? Whatever is beneficial to me in... Beneficial to you? Thing. Or beneficial to society? Beneficial to me, and then beneficial to society. So you first, then society second? Me first, and then society second, because I do need to understand what my impulses are. Okay. And I need to weigh in which to act on the impulses at the sake of society, or to act for society at the sake of my impulses. Do you always know... That's fair. I think that you should... I think that you should put your take responsibility on yourself before your society. I would only cite that because of my experience in uh, a community with focus on relationships. In every scenario in which you focus, there's a balance, obviously Goldilocks range, but if you were to focus on all other people to your own um, 
to your own, even if it doesn't benefit you, right? Like you're 100% or you're 100% about your kid. It's another example. Yeah. That will be damaging to the child or that would be damaging to the community. So if you over-sacrifice, right? Yeah. And so... Yeah, so you're putting yourself first. Yeah, exactly. And so putting myself first and then... Because you're only as beneficial to society as you are to yourself. Exactly. That's the thing is like, why would I work out um, when I could be earning more so that my son can have more? Yeah, okay. Maybe. So, totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. Next step is, do you believe that you always know what's best for you? No, and that's where I believe having institutions and communities are important. Yeah. Because I, my emotion, I always see the dichotomy between rationality and emotions. Mm-hmm. And there's a push and pull. Maybe not a dichotomy because there's not just a push and pull. There's a synchronicity at times. Um, and that whole thing, you can't see the forest through the trees. So I need to yeah. surround myself with other people yes. who can catch me. Okay. So, theoretically, if you, if there was a, a benevolent creator of the universe Mm -hmm. that always knew what was best for you and you had an opportunity to hear and communicate with this benevolent creator of the universe and follow this benevolent creator of the universe and do everything the right way that would be best for you and ultimately best for your community would you who who's the one to inform me that it's best for the community? Let's do I that assess that say, or do I take his word? Let's say that uh-huh. you know for sure this is a completely hypothetical. Mm-hmm. We're drawing big, we're taking big leaps here. You know for sure that he's a creator of the universe. He or she, we'll just, we'll even say she. He or she is a, you know for sure is the creator of the universe and they're benevolent and they have your best interest in mind. Would you, would you do what they say? Partially. Partially? Partially. Because I would still be skeptical. <laughs> I'm trying to get... I'm trying to work this... Uh, yeah, this, I know you this are. Out ...because I want you to take away... This is completely hypothetical. I, I would do it. I, the only reason why I was going to say is just everything in history shows me that that's to your own fault. But... What's to I your would, own fault? You're just completely jumping in with someone. Right, right, right. right. And, uh, well, I agree Someone that. who exerts such a well, high we're talking about We're talking, so this brings me to my next mm-hmm. question, which is there a total good and a total evil? So if you were to say hypothetically mm-hmm. that there's a total good, a total good and a total evil, and it's obvious, you're like, oh, well, there's total evil. Oh, there's total good. And then over there on Total Good, Total Good's going, hey, I everything that I say is good, and everything that I instruct you to do is going to be the best thing that you can do for you and for your society. Mm-hmm. Would you then do everything that Total Good is telling you to do? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I would. Yeah. As long as my needs are met. As long as your needs are met. So you'd come first. Mm -hmm. You'd come first. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So imagine now, this is going to be harder because now we're going to personify this total good a little bit more. And then it's really hard because you can't imagine this. But I'm going to do my best to get you to. Mm -hmm. And I want you to do your best to get you to, too. (laughs) 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 You can get it. Imagine, uh, now imagine... That your father or your mother, one of your parents, 
is the embodiment of this total good. Right? So you love them. So add the element of they love you and you love them. Um, then would you think about your needs first still? Or would you think about their needs as well? Their needs as well or their needs first? Either or. Think about their needs as well. Uh, equally or more? Equally. But not yours. Okay, equally. Mm-hmm. But not equally. first. Yours not no, first. No, actually more. More than yours. I only say that because I've done that. Okay. But, yeah. Yeah. So, imagine this. The creator of the universe, the benevolent, all-good, all-knowing creator of the universe, loves you as if you are... He puts your needs before even his own and wants the very best for you. And you've had a relationship with this creator. Would you put the creator's needs before your own or your needs before the creator's? If he has already put... <laughs> because you and keep in mind you don't know your needs you admitted that mm-hmm. and and nor do i know my needs right so if you're putting your needs before his needs but he knows your needs and you don't mm-hmm. then you're gonna you're guaranteed to follow your needs or your wants over mm-hmm. your needs you see i would because of that because of him guaranteed to know my needs and to act in the interest of my needs then i would reciprocate that's because my needs are taken care of okay all right Mm -hmm. that's fair you know for sure your needs are going to be taken care of if i do know for sure my needs are going to be taken care of yes otherwise one foot in one foot out that's that's the idea of god that's the idea of jujitsu is it if someone is so self-interested that it is at the detriment to the immediate community. Think of someone who just like goes a hundred percent on people and like breaks their arm, right? Okay, but I'm talking mm-hmm. about a I'm talking about a hypothetical I know benevolent creator. <laughs> <laughs> Jiu-jitsu doesn't all you I mean you're not gonna find many gyms that are gonna take you in for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so right off the bat they don't love you in the same way that a benevolent Yeah, it is, that is a bit of a stretch. So you have to pay into the community. It's mm-hmm. not a free community. But don't you have to pay into the benevolent creator because no. you have to take care you of don't have their to. needs? You have a choice. But you, you have a choice. But even if I took care of my needs first, would they then um take care of my needs? You too? don't know your needs. They do. So if I decided not to though, would we still continue? If you decided not to what? Take care of the benevolent creators. Listen to their listen to their needs. Oh yeah, they they know they're perfect. Mm-hmm. They know their needs, oh, and they know your needs. They don't need because we're flawed. Mm-hmm. We're imagining something that's not flawed. We're imagining a flawless being. Mm-hmm. So this flawless being doesn't need anybody else to. T- it's the initiating force of the universe. Mm-hmm. This is the most complex possible thing that we could even not even not even imagine i mean this is the most complex entity possible it's more complex than the universe it created the universe Mm -hmm. so this thing loves you and has all your needs in mind and no you don't have to do anything but just listen to it and your needs will be met you you would do that right yeah i would do that yeah Mm -hmm. 
as long as I know it's reciprocated, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you know. Yes, I do. You know. Mm-hmm. So, here's my thought. What, um, when I see um, biblical teachings, the idea behind the Bible is that, the idea behind the Christian Bible is that God, not not just Jesus, but God as the entity, as the, as that fatherly uh, creator of the universe, is benevolent and loves you. But you have the you have the capacity through trying to get your own needs on your own to put structures between you and God. Now God doesn't love you any less. God still loves you, but God's saying no. If you do this, if you go right. You know, if you're driving to my house and you take a right, you know, at, on June Street, then you're going to get there five minutes earlier than if you take a left and go around. There's a there's an effective way for you to live your purpose and to fulfill something and that your life has meaning. It's not just coincidental. You do have free will. You have a choice and there is a purpose. There's a place for you in this universe. You actually have you mean something to me. You're a part of me, and I love you. I mean, that's a amazing idea, amazing concept that we could have that kind of purpose, and that there would be somebody that, despite us always trying to meet our own subjective needs, would still love us. Woo! That was a lot of fun. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Go check out Daniel's blog, liftatthetrail.blogspot.com, and rate, review this show on iTunes, Google Play. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you. Man, I love doing debates. I think I'm going to do more of these. I'm considering doing one based on religion with Daniel. I'm an agnostic. However, I see a lot of value within religion itself. But do you need the spiritual aspects of it? Does it have to be strict within Christianity? I think not. But Daniel, however, thinks otherwise. Man, I'm excited. I got my blue belt. I've never committed to something as much as I have with jiu-jitsu. Or even this podcast, for instance. But it's the community around me that makes me commit more and set higher expectations of my own self. I'm learning a lot. And... (laughs) This life is just one wild ride. I mean, all you guys, y'all have interesting stories, and you inspire me to expect more of myself and to hold myself to the standard of that, of my role models, and not let insecurity suffocate me. (laughs) It's freeing to get out of my own way and get the fuck out of my own head, but... That's because I got people like y'all. <laughs> well, next week we got, um, we're going to sit down with someone to talk about uh, euthanizing animals and kill shelters and um, humane societies within Texas and up here in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> I'm excited for it, y'all. Till next time. Bye.